Racers and Rental Cars Podcast with your host, Top Fuel Cam, Cameron Bray, and his co-host, Mr. Top Sportsman, Don O'Neill. So what's up, Don? What's going on, Cam? Uh, it's another beautiful day in the neighborhood. It is. It is very beautiful. Isn't that what Especially, Mr. Rogers used to say? That's what he said. Back in the day, you're really going back to my childhood now, making me be the old guy. Maybe I should start changing my shoes right now. Like uh, racers and rental cars. Like cue cue the intro music. I'm putting I'm taking my flip flops on and I'm putting my other flip flops on. Uh-huh. that's how they do it on the West Coast. All right. Is I it like you. one pair of galoshes for you to another pair of galoshes? Hey, we've been like a whole four days with no rain. Shut it. Well, that's pretty impressive. Hey, you know what? It's funny that you uh, talked about Mr. Rogers and I referred to being old. And today's episode is about the state of NHRA. That was quite the segue there, my friend. You like that, don't you? I do. I do. You well, might have you might have a knack for this radio thing. Uh, well, it, I don't know if it's actually radio. It's kind of like what on the. Well, I guess it could be considered radio, but I don't <laughs> see XM calling me up anytime soon. Yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I could give Harvick a run for his money for, uh, you know, happy hours. I like that. Happy be, Kevin Harvick. You'll be the next Bobby Bones. I don't even know who the heck Bobby Bones is. How about the next Ryan Seacrest? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too Metro for uh, you? Uh, yeah, nada. Nope. I, but I don't know. The guy's got a lot of money. You could probably race a lot of cars with the money that guy's got. Yeah, probably so, but I don't know that I can be... Uh, Man, heck no. Ryan Seacrest? Really? I think that's up your lane. That's your lane. Hey, I'll be Ryan Seacrest all day. <laughs> all right. So, episode something or another. Show. We're, you we're said gonna ta- state what? of, what was it? State of NHRA? Yeah, we said we're going to talk about the state of NHRA. Oh, now, boy. That, and it's in your state, too. <laughs> yeah, it's just up the street. Good old Glendora. Well, I got good old Brownsburg right up the street. I've been like that. I've been to the penalty box a few times. Yeah, well, you know, it, yeah, it's something about people. People think that logo is like some like significant authority in life. Should we start this with what NHRA stands for, and then what um, some people call NHRA, saying that it stands for? <laughs> No, because we talked about uh, being social media correct on our last episode, so we don't want to... This is true. Okay. So, for those of you that don't know, if you're into other forms of motorsports, NHRA stands for the National Hot Rod Association, founded by the late Wally Parks. Otherwise known as the Wally. Yes, but did you know that that is not Wally Parks? Yes, I was uh, privy Jack. to the conversation. Yeah, the conversation with Brian Loans when he explained the whole how they came up with the Wally deal. Yep, yep. A little fun for fact sure. for us. See, now you're starting to learn stuff on racers and rental cars. Yeah, but don't go trying to watch Jeopardy and think that you're going to impress somebody for five hundred dollars, Alex. Dude, my mom was watching. I uh, was over at her house, my parents' house, the other day, and she was watching something, and like it was like. And I think she just turned the TV on and it was on. What was that show? The Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? 
or whatever. Uh-huh. And it was like, you know, like fill in daytime TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the question was, but drag racing was one of the options. And I'm like, oh, God. And and so my mom's like, oh, Cameron, do you know this one? I'm like, Pfft. she's like, no, I know this one. It's not even drag racing. Never mind. Oh, uh, I thought you were talking about RuPaul drag racing, maybe. No, no, but you do uh, have to be careful when you set your DVR for drag racing because there could be some things on there that you might not be interested in. Yes, not kid-friendly. Yeah. For sure. All right, so scale of 1 to 10, the state of NHRA is a... Uh, 6. <laughs> okay. I can probably, probably get behind that. I can probably get behind the six. Uh, a definite maybe on the six. Definite maybe on the six. You know, we always do the, you, you know, grad school and everything. And in business and marketing, they teach you to do uh, SWAT, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Gosh, we're teaching them other things, too. Yeah, yeah this I is know. quite the educational episode. I do not think that Voice America is going to put uh, racers and rental cars in the education genre of the search engine. Hey, man, you never know. We're just trying to get those keywords to get them viewers up. You know what I'm saying? All right. I need click, click, click. And, you, you know, I'm going to pull out what's the king of the hill and be like, you know, dot com. Well, you know, NHRA, let's be honest. Right now. You got three types of drag racing going on in the country. You got NHRA, you got bracket racing, and you got no prep slash some prep. Slash uh, street outlaw. Street outlaw. That's what we got. Because mm-hmm. I even think, even if you consider, even if you take NMCA and NMRA, those are what I would consider niche drag racing associations. Yeah, I mean, it, which are all cool, which I... Those, like any NMRA, National Muscle Car Association, or anything like that, like, I I chalk that up as the same genre as, like, the Street Outlaws slash No Prep. And I only say that because it's not, they're muscle cars, for the most part. They're door cars, trying to do different things with them. Now, NHRA is mostly, well, I used to say... Mostly, but now it's probably turned. What when people think drag racing, they think, oh, like those really fast cars that have the parachutes that come out. Yes, true. They go like 300 miles an hour, right? Do you know John Force? Yeah, that's usually the way that the conversation goes. But now I feel like I see a little a little uh, shift in uh, when you're at a restaurant or something. Like, oh, you drag race? Like, do you know that big chef guy? I mean, big chief guy. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, like who's more famous, Big Chief and Sean or John Force? No, and you're and you're absolutely right with that. And and I will tell you, I've always said it, and, and it won't come to shock anybody from the NHRA level that if you look, because I've run on the NMCA side, I've been around, you know, some bracket racing and a lot of NHRA. There's different demographic makeups that go into these types of environment. And when you look at like the street outlaw type, no prep deal, that's really an entertainment program. That is, we are, we are traveling the country. We're capitalizing on our TV 
uh, image, and we are going to make money on the gate. We're going to sell $10,000 worth of t-shirts in a weekend, and we're going to hope that we leave there with nothing wrecked, right? Yep. Perfect, right? So that's it's, it's the entertainment. It is the, it's the four-wheeled version of the circus. Yes, but you're not, you're not there to promote peak or monster energy or Traxxas RC cars or whatever, like, or AAA auto club, like NHRA is the corporate America of drag racing, right? Right, right. Because we don't have, NASCAR doesn't have a version of Street Outlaws. No. Well, maybe. Is that like the K&N Pro Series? (laughs) No, because even them, they even got sponsors. Just, I mean, I'm you know. <laughs> so, that might I be mean, like the dirt late models where like the guys like throw their helmets through the windshields and like when they get pissed off, they run and jump through the windows and like rip them the out of the car. Be- best impressions and views on social media ever. Just saying. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I mean, where is it? You know, you can't downplay what the Street Outlaw guys are doing uh, because – they are getting the impressions and the eyeballs in the stands at these facilities uh, on the gate. They're, you know, they're making a TV production after it. They're, you're seeing logos from certain companies pop up here and there. Some of those guys are taking advantage of the marketability of it. So, Well, yeah, you I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you. Like Race Pack, uh, we got on board when Street Outlaws was first like they were like filming pilots and we got involved because a a former employee he was friends with the guys that were doing the show and like hey like can you hook us up with some stuff or whatever but it was great for us because the blue dashes and all that like it was getting shown on the mainstream and we're we're trying to grow our mainstream thing which worked out great but it was a nonchalant like hey like we're clearly not like pumping this straight through you like it's just we supplied some products and there was it's on TV that's right called product placement exactly Uh throwing down some more Ed Ed right there there you go so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to to look at that but what I guess street outlaws versus NHRA and like that type of racing now I'm a fan of drag racing if somebody asked me to drive a no prep car hell yeah I'd drive it would it be now sign me up would it be the first thing that, like, if I had the pick of the litter to do? Not so much. But I appreciate what they're doing. Now, with that said, I've grown up around with, you know, the bracket racing, the NHRA, the corporate America side, because that's where I'm hoping to go, which maybe to make a living at it, maybe I should be looking at the <laughs> Speed Society Street Outlaws angle, because that seems to be growing right now but the pinnacle of the sport everybody says essentially is nhra now in the 60s and 70s nhra drag racing was something that was growing popularity it was on wide world of sports freaking 32 funny cars all that stuff it's all over the place especially on the west coast like it was huge here and you know on all these tracks and the cool thing about it is you could get three three people that made okay money, right? They could run their team out of their garage. You get three partners together and you could run a top field team and be somewhat successful, right? Like my, my best friend's grandparents, like he, he owned a bunch of the cars that Tom McEwen drove. 
like the Yakel and the and uh, the Candy Striper and like all these all these cars that Don Perdome and Tom McEwen drove, but nobody's ever really heard of Lubaney unless you're like super into the sport, right? Historic. Yeah. So that goes that just goes to show you that like it was more attainable for the everyday person to understand what was going on. Fast cars, hot rods. That was a mecca and the era of yeah, I'm going to build a fast car or I even have a car, so I want to soup it up. Nowadays, I guess there's a lot more challenges when it comes to making this stuff cool and exciting and edge of your seat and you know they say oh drag racing was the first extreme sport i love how everybody uses oh bull riding was the first extreme sport drag racing was the first extreme uh, sport motorcycles was the first extreme sport they're all extreme they're all cool like whatever but what are the struggles when it comes to everyday stuff number one is there's just so much noise in the world then compared to I guess I'll let me back up. Is an HRA declining in my eyes? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I, it pains me to say that because I love it so much. But, you know, it's because, partially I feel like it's because there's so much supercross, monster trucks, NASCAR, hockey, baseball, football, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's so much stuff going on in the world that you know, let's go to a drag race. Well, yeah, let's go to a drag race. It costs $75 to get in. You got to pay $25 a park. When I have a family of four, <laughs> it makes it really tough. When I have social media that I could just see the results anyways. Yeah, we've... So, here's more education for you. Um, you know, I joked around a long time ago, maybe like, well, a long time ago to me because I'm old. Like two years ago, I joked around that I was going to go on Amazon and order like two cases of the book, Who Moved My Cheese, and send it to Glendora, right? Because I feel like we we had leadership. And, th- and once again, as and I preface everything, my perceptions, my reality doesn't make it wrong or right, but it's the way I vision things from not only the business side marketing side but also the racing side is that you cannot move a sport forward with generation when the leadership is a generation or two generations older than the current generation that you're trying to market to and capture what do you mean they have all that knowledge no 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 no. so okay so (laughs) you know uh it's no, it's it, it's no secret. You know, I drive for a family. It's heavily in the RV industry, and we have a RV show for the past few years that's taken place in Louisville. And the first time I ever went to it, everybody that I was being introduced to was 10, 15, 20 years older than me. Now at this time, I'm in my early forties. And last year when we went, all these new young face executives. Are in here. Oh, those dot those dot com millionaires. Those dot-comers. <laughs> because we're doing there it's the generational of the millennials. That is who we're trying to capture, right? Now, where's the problem? Here's the problem. Most the average age, I think I could be wrong, I don't have the report in front of me, but I think the average age 
of an NHRA racer at an NHRA national event is 46 years old. I think that's somewhere in that ballpark. I, I don't think it's quite 50, but I think it's in the, the mid-40s, if I remember right. And that's not who we're trying to capture as a new fan in the 40s because we're going to have him as a fan for, what, 10 years? Mm-hmm. But if we capture somebody in their 20s or their 30s, we could have them as a fan for 15, 20, 30 years. So I I think we've lost our way on how we're trying to not only run the sport, but at the same time, market our sport and sell it. And uh, that's where, uh, as they say, you get three people in the room, two of them don't get along um, together, and the one in the middle gets tries to get along with both of them. We've got a, a three-way tug-of-war going on here within NHRA. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. You know, there's so many ways that this conversation can go, you know, and and it's not in essence a bashing of NHRA in any means. This is, uh, there's a lot of struggles that come with this and there's a lot of people that think they have all the answers. Do I have all the answers? No. Does Don have all the answers? No. But what we can do is we can bring up things that maybe have a new spin or a new approach. Uh, Sean and JR in their podcast kind of touched on it the other day a little bit, which I thought was amazing. So they they summed it up really well. Here we have, they make this countdown to the championship for NHRA. To win the championship, you have to qualify to get into the top 10, and then from there it's a, was it six race, seven race or whatever deal right. to, to win the championship. The first race of the countdown... It was potentially going to rain. So they decided not to send any of their social media people out to the racetrack to save money. Now, in a generation that is all it is, is well, we just had a whole last episode about just Facebook. We didn't even really touch upon anything else. So now you're going to take the social media people that are promoting your sport and not even have them show up. It's the thinkings like that that make me question what what's going to happen with with a lot of this stuff or you know the the sportsman racers that are in essence paying the pro purse and not allowing them to race at certain you know capping the capping the classes at at a certain number and i understand like there's only a certain amount of time to do things like i get that but when the sportsman people that are paying $350 to enter a race is paying the pro purse, you'd probably think that you'd want to like get some input from them or treat them a little nicer or I don't know, park them on some grass maybe, or, you know, some asphalt or, uh, let them run once before first round or at all, (laughs) at all, or, you know, I understand there's things mother nature can't, you can't control, but, Let's reschedule it, or let's, I don't know. They ma- people are making it hard for people to race, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Whether that's oh. Top Fuel or Stock Eliminator or Super Comp, it's really hard for the average Joe to come out, park your rig on Monday, tech on Tuesday, hang out Wednesday and Thursday, because you probably aren't going to get a run, make one run Friday, 
And then if you happen to lose first round, you've just wasted a whole week of your two weeks paid vacation sitting in a parking lot in the dirt. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. So the whole deal is, is that I explained it to, to some fledging racers at Bristol earlier this year when they're talking about NHRA leadership. And so I told them that my first comment to any NHRA executive that had the title of vice president of anything, right? So you just stated Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay. It costs an absorbent amount of money to compete at the NHRA level. And I'm not just saying Lucas Oil, Stock, Super Street. Uh, it takes an absorbent amount of financial stability to compete at that level to be there to be able to stack on a Wednesday mm-hmm. for a Thursday, for a Friday, for a Saturday. So how do you think that those people got to that financial stability? They are business owners, successful business owners. You, NHRA, look at them as a $350 whatever. You don't realize the fact that you're standing among four people that between the four of them run companies that average over $15 million a year in sales and have 50 employees and have been doing it for three decades and you want to try to tell them well, this is why we're doing this or that or this. And it's, are you kidding me? You wouldn't be working for us if that's how you acted or, or how you how you handle situations. You're missing the point that you're catering to 40 millionaires over in the pro pits when you have 400, eh, half a millionaires, <laughs> small millionaires, over here in the sportsman pits. So you're, you know, it just, it troubles me sometimes when people fail to realize who their audience is that they're talking to. These people that come to NHRA races on Tuesdays and Wednesdays are not people that work 40 hours a week for a $20 an hour job because they make somebody else rich. They already are financially stable and you're forgetting that when you're making some of your actions that impact the sportsman racers and they make it hard sometimes make it extremely hard sometimes well i feel like a lot of a lot of people they they're worried about filling the stands right so and i get that because that's where a lot of their revenue comes from but aside from the sportsman racer or whatever and you have you have you know yeah okay nhra this year i think we've sold out like six days or whatever which is good like Attendance, I guess you could say, is up, which is great. Maybe that's because of Street Outlaws, because drag racing is starting to increase, or you know, or whatever they're trying to do. But they make it hard to to sit in those stands. And for a guy that you know has to spend his money wisely, who doesn't have an exorbitant amount of money, so I choose to spend my money in this arena. And you get treated a certain way for a certain amount of time, whether that's, and I've, I've seen this on the sportsman level. I've seen this on the pro level. I've gotten to race at every single level within what they do as far as NHRA. And it makes it real hard to try to, to do these things when you're kind of, your back, I guess, is against the wall. 
in essence, because there's is there favoritism to certain people because they're worried if they lose those certain people that the sport might die? For sure. You know, I I don't know. But come on. The, uh, let, let's let's be honest. Let's get some folks in a room. I, I mean, come on, guys. Do how many how many more episodes or times do we want to hear about the Force family? You know, I, granted, okay, they got new sponsors. Great, give them their time. Hey, did you know there's a new racer? He's out here on tour, and he's got a new sponsor, and he's trying to make it a, a go. Did you take the camera over to his trailer? Well, okay. Give him 30 seconds. Okay, I mean, let's let's take that to another level. <laughs> We're going to get into this, aren't we? So uh, I had a conversation. 30-minute podcast. I, I had a conversation with an executive of an unknown, well, not unknown. I'm going to say unnamed organization that this podcast might be centered around. And they asked me, so tell me what you think we should do <laughs> about the sport, growing it. You know, you're young. You've been doing this since junior dragsters, whatever. And I said, okay, I'm going to tell you a prime example here. I've been racing since I was 12 years old. I've raced junior dragsters, super comp nostalgia, alcohol dragsters, now top fuel. It cost me an ass load of money to make that happen. That I had to go acquire sponsorship, I had to do all this stuff, made my professional debut, best day of my life, right? I had to acquire sponsorship and a lot of money to do that. I did press releases, I did all this stuff, and I had to then... Now, mind you, I qualified for the event. I won first round. I beat the winningest driver in NHRA, like one of NHRA history's first round. And I got no TV time. It was my debut. <laughs> I beat the best driver in the world. Just, I mean, first round, whatever. I mean, but it's like the highlight of my life, right? And when light came on, hell yeah, it did. And instead of showing people that, hey, like this Joe Racer kid from the beach just went from started from the bottom and now he's here, <laughs> as dumb as that sounds. Instead, I got, I had to go explain to my sponsors, well, how come we only got like 15 seconds of airtime? When I'm trying in the 90 minute show. Yeah, when I'm trying to sell our TV package. And I said that's a prime example of why it's hard for us being the little guy mm-hmm. to try to get to become the DSRs, the forces, the Colettas and you know cuz that's where we all want to be or at least I do. So, and the guy had didn't even have a response. He's like, well, "I'm really sorry. Why didn't you talk to somebody?" I said, "Well, who am I going to talk to?" You know, it's not, you guys don't care, you know, and, and all I'm trying to do is grow the sport, right? I'm trying to be the young, new, fresh face. There's a story there, right? Ask me what my middle name is. Ask me what I like to do on the weekends. Ask me. So the only thing that they did was they tried to make a big deal saying that I burned down Tony Schumacher, which 
I'm sorry, but I did not. <laughs> but, you know, they tried to make something of that. And, you know. But so instead of making this a yay, 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 yay thing, it just got shoved off to the side. Oh, yeah, you know. Cool. And then now I'm here still trying to find sponsors to get back into that circus. You know, it's bad from that standpoint to go and say, well, you know, what should we have done? What could we have done better? Go to Supercross and watch what they do. (laughs) I I honestly, I don't know how it's that hard. You know, we know, you know, we have an entry list. We got cap spots. Um, Do some research about your, about your drivers, uh, where they're, where they're from. What's their backstories? You know, it's sell. Okay, here's the other thing too. Today's people. Now, mind you, everybody. Don Don is on camera right now. I can see him, and he's getting riled up. Go ahead. Yeah, and I only got a few <laughs> minutes. I I got to get off. I got a conference call. Do some homework. Tell the backstories. Give the people in the stands somebody to relate to. Guess what? The guy in the stands that spent $400 to bring his family there to sit in the stands and eat $10 hot dogs cannot relate to the professional driver driving a race car with whomever's money on a starting line. They can't relate to that person, but they might be able to relate to the guy that owns the tire company that's back in the sportsman pits that who knows, maybe this guy needs a new job. I, I don't know. I just, you know, I'm going to get, I am getting riled up and I got to get on a conference call, but it's, you, you have to help sell the sport, get the people that have great stories to sell the sport. And I'm sorry, there are a few people that are in the professional ranks that are phony. They're fake. They don't know what a good day's work is. And people in the stands know that they know that. Well, at the end of the day, all you got, all you have to do, it's very simple. You said promote the the little guy or whatever, even if it's the big guy, who cares? But sell a story. Like, I mean, it's not the same for people. Like, uh, people, I, I get on forums all the time, and that's all people bitch about, and they're not even in the racing world, you know. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's hard for a guy like me that's that's trying to be that to do it. Like, but go to Supercross. The Feld Entertainment promotes the riders, their sponsors, everybody else. They're not just trying to take all their sponsors and sponsor the series. They're, they're hey, uh, so-and-so's got a reality show on MTV about his Supercross whatever. You guys should go watch it. Instead, you know, on our side, we got to pay however many bazillions of dollars in order to even have a camera there to promote their sport. So, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And, and we, we are, we're gas bagging and, and so forth. So we'll, I'm sure we'll get back on this cause I get heated. I got to take a blood pressure pill. Um, Cam wrap it up, my friend. I got to go count to a hundred or something here. <laughs> All right, Don, we'll, uh, appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for race to racepack.com and, uh, drags for sale.com and voice America for letting us, uh, express our opinions. And at the end of the day, we are all friends and fans of NHRA drag racing. And, you know, we're just trying to help this. This isn't like a hate on NHRA thing. We, we want, we want 
it to succeed and we want to stay in this industry for a long time and if they're willing to listen to us and and hopefully be able to help their package absolutely i i'm i'm right there willing to do whatever i can to help and if not and it's just noise then i guess i was able to feel a little bit better about my stress call me call me i'll get on the board sounds good well thanks guys and uh we will see you next week Let's